morning again. If you are not here last night, I hope they recorded. Yes? You should listen to the recording because it kind of builds up. It works together the whole weekend. And you may not want to miss a little about what it means to have a relationship with God that we talked about last night. I'm going to continue on it. And uh, I want to emphasize that while not what we do saves us, people that have God's presence cannot help but do. I don't know if you follow me. For instance, my wife and I have an excellent, unusually, extremely good relationship. I rarely see families that are so blessed. And I mean it. This is no politics. I I don't need you to like me. She likes me and that's enough. (laughs) But my wife and I know each other so well. And we work so well together. And... When we talk about do things based on love, if somebody comes, she doesn't need to tell me what to do. She just looks at me and I know exactly what she wants. And I don't do it because I am afraid and I don't do it because I need something. I just do it joyfully. And if she comes from work and she's tired and she comes late and I was home early, when she comes home, is vacuumed, cleaned, cooked, Meal is ready. I just sit down. I will take care of you. I said, no, no, no. I, I, you are tired too. No, 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 no. Sit down. And we kind of try to make each other happy. Nobody thinking about self. And I don't do that because I have an agenda. I actually enjoy doing it. Some, sometimes she says, why do you do so much? I, I love it. I would feel terrible to just do nothing. I, you know... You don't do things because you want to be holy. You don't do things because you want to be saved. You do things if you love Jesus. Now let me go a little deeper in that regard. Why would God need you to do things? God doesn't need you. We make a mess wherever we go. We really make a mess. Why would God ask you? I understand. He asked me because I am better than you. I'm kidding. (laughs) Why would God ask you or me to do things? It's very clear that the more we serve, all over the Bible, I could give you Bible stories, I could give you quotations from the spirit of prophecy, the more we serve, the more we invest in people, the more we start to care for people. You'll never care for a stranger. Oh, I want to love them. How do you do that? How can you love your neighbor just as you love yourself? That's not an easy thing. How can you love your enemy? When Jesus says, Hey, even pagans love their friends, but the challenge is to love your enemies. How do you do that? You wait for a feeling. Oh, I feel this in my... It's like it tickles me. Oh, it's so good when I love them. Do you wait for a feeling or what? How do you love them? It's very simple. You start praying for them and investing in them. And the more you invest in them, the more you care for them. God is not asking you. The spirit of prophecy says that the more we serve others, the more we become like Jesus. Because he didn't come to be served, but he came to serve. And the more we become like Jesus, the more we grow. Basically, God didn't call you to work for others 
in order to help him, but work for others so that you may grow. We grow only by doing. You don't learn swimming by reading swimming seminars. You learn swimming by jumping in the water. Does it make any sense? You don't learn driving by listening to somebody who is a good driver. You learn driving when you get behind the wheel. You don't learn loving and loving by listening to good sermons. You learn how to grow by helping others to grow. When I was in college, in the beginning, I didn't like physics. I just didn't. And I was so desperate, I have to do my project in physics, that I would miss the class. And I started to do it. And I consider myself the last one in the class, a failure. And the classmate came to me and said, can you please help me? I am desperate. Can you help me with this? And I didn't want to tell him that I know nothing. And I pretended that I am very smart. I said, oh, sure. you know." And I started to explain him the very little thing that I knew. And guess what? Another one came to me, said to that guy, who helped you? Goya. Another one came to me, and then another one. Soon enough, I was helping half of the class. Guess what happened? For some reason, the more I helped others, the more I started to connect and to understand until I became number one in the class. The teacher was asking me to teach many times. And I basically, how did I grow? By helping others to grow. God didn't call you to be holy by... You know, you make effort, you like get stressed. And God called you to go and help others just as you are. And as you work, you grow. Saying that, I want to start our subject today. Do you think that it's possible to really serve Jesus? Because many places I travel, people are hopeless. They say nothing is going to change. I was in 2004 in Madrid, Spain. When I spoke in Spain, they killed me. I came home dead, a zombie. I spoke at 8, 9, 10, 11 o'clock, 2, 3, 4, and 5. How many sermons are that? 8 in a day. That's not normal. And when I finished, they said, oh, there is another group 15 kilometers away. And they took me, and at 8 p.m., I spoke the ninth time that Sabbath. Can you believe it? I was like, you know, okay. And when I spoke, I prayed that the Lord would use my time there efficiently, because I didn't want to stay away from my family for nothing. Except some people that believe that traveling is fun. When you travel once a month, maybe fun, but when you travel every weekend, it's not so much fun. Because you are jet-lagged all the time and tired and so on. And I, for me, the funniest thing, the best thing was to be home with my wife. Not to be somewhere in Spain, you know. And she's alone at home. And to be with my dogs. And my dogs love me, you know. And to basically to eat my home food. My wife cooks better than any restaurant you have ever dreamed. My wife cooks amazing and I cook too. Trust me. And I cook good. I'm not trying to brag. I just tell you when I cook and take it to potluck... People make a line at my food. And so I want you to be home. Home, my bed is the best bed, my food is the best food, I'm happy. Okay? I want you to be home. And I am in Spain. And I preach, and 900 people are all cucumbers. Those people, I've never seen anything like that, were like, 
Nobody moving, nobody saying amen, nobody smiling, doing this or nothing. I brother, breathe so I know that you are alive. Do something. Nobody cared. It was like I was trying to read them to see are they even listening to me or they are asleep or they are dead. They are some some kind of sculptures, you know, pictures. They are not alive, you know. Uh, are they there? Hello, you know. Nothing. And after nine hours of preaching, I said, Lord, forgive them. <laughs> you know, I was kind of, I lost my time and they lost their time. They should have better stayed home because church doesn't help them. And I prayed and God didn't answer my prayer. Did it ever happen to you that you pray and you don't get an answer to your prayer? Well, how do you reconcile with that quotation? To every honest prayer, an answer will come. But it would be wrong to assume that it comes in the time you, you want, in the way you want. You see, God answers prayers, honest prayers, but he doesn't answer the way you ask. He answers the way he knows, much better than what you can pray. If you knew how he answers, it's like a million times better than what you pray. Okay, and so I prayed, I got no answer, I went home and I said, forget pain. Let them call me back, I will never go back. That was in what year? 2004. 2017, I am in Czech Republic, in Prague, talking to the division. How many years later? 13. I almost said, you do the geography. I should have said, you do the math, but I like to joke, you know. So, 13 years later, I am in Prague, talking to the division people. And Paolo Benini says, Goya, I'm going to put you on the spot. I said, what do you mean? Everybody puts me on the spot. Hopefully it's not too bad, you know. And he says, you know what happened in Italy? He said, no, I don't know what happened in Italy because I didn't go yet there. He says, well, Italy is dead. The church is dead. People are very secular. People, they may be called Catholics, but they don't go to church. A few very old may go to church. Tourists go to churches. Churches are like museums for tourists. But people don't. They are very, very, very secular. We have very small membership and the church is dying. And then he says, something major happened in, Mad in, in uh, Madrid. I said, what happened in Madrid? And he told us the story. An old lady from Madrid in 2004, Madrid, I said, Milan. What happened in Milan? An old lady from Milan in Italy in 2004 went to Madrid to visit her son that works in Spain. And the lady from Italy went to Madrid when I was preaching there and she recorded my sermon on her cell phone. I always like to joke. I never knew that old ladies know how to record on cell phone because I don't know how to record on my cell phone. I have to ask my son to teach me how to record on my cell phone. I just know to talk on my cell phone and to follow, follow the GPS on my cell phone. Okay, and so the lady recorded the whole prayer seminar and she went back home to Milan, Italy, and she listened to the prayer seminar once, twice, three times. Have you ever listened to a sermon or to a song like three times or four times? She listened again and again and again. And she started to get it. And it started to sink in. The more she listened, the more she was convinced that she needs to act on it. And then what she did... She started to pray every morning and she prayed every morning for half an hour and then she started to pray every morning for one hour and then she asked God for what to do and in the beginning God didn't answer her. So guess what? She called me. I get an average of 70 phone calls a day, an average of 120 emails a day. 
Sure, some of them are junk, some of them are family, some of them are work, some of them are whatever, but too many. It takes you forever even to read them. And so when I get a phone call, I don't like people that talk to me one hour and say nothing, like politicians. They talk a lot, but you don't know what they say. I don't like that. I like people that go straight to the subject. You know, and she started, uh, she talked from Adam to Revelation. I said, can you please go to the subject? She said, well, I'm trying to do what you say and to pray, but God doesn't talk to me. And I said to her in three words, don't pray to hear God's voice. Pray to know God. Because people, when they pray, they look for things instead of looking for God. Did you hear what I said? They look for things instead of looking for... I want healing. I want salvation. I want forgiveness. I want to hear his voice. I want him to work in my life. Looking for things. Don't look for anything. If God was broke and God had no blessings and no salvation and no forgiveness, still, if you love him, you look for him. You understand what I say? If my wife had nothing, because I love her, I want her presence. And so look for God. Stop looking for things. And let him decide what to give you and when. Well, so I told her, stop looking for a voice, to hear a voice. Try to know him. And she says, and how do you do that? I said, just keep praying. How long? I said, well, how long do you breathe? She said, well, all the time. Then pray all the time. Bye. (laughs) She didn't like me much because she didn't call me back. That was okay with me, you know. And so the lady kept praying and kept praying, and kept praying, and this is what I admire. She didn't give up. Most of the people give up. You don't give up job because you don't pay the bills, but you give up prayer. How do you explain that? That doesn't make much sense, does it? We give up relationship with God because we don't have to. Basically, we play religion. And so, she kept praying, and after about a month, two months, three months, however, she started to sense God's voice. It takes a while to get closer and closer and to start to know Him. You follow me? You need to be persistent. When I started to date my wife, I didn't know her in the beginning, but now I know her and she knows me, because we have spent time together, quite a lot of time. Okay, and so she started to distinguish God's voice and she sensed that God is calling her to work and she was trying to grow spiritually and to get victory and she told me, Paolo Benini told me that she told them that whatever she tried to get victory into, that's where she failed the most. Did you hear what I said? Whatever you struggle with, That's where you fail again and again. And you pray for it, and the more you pray, it seems the worse you do. And she says that whatever tried to get victory on, that's what she prayed about, and that's what she failed the most. And God inspired her to stop trying. To stop putting human effort into change, and rather... Continue to know Jesus, to have a relationship, because we are changed by his presence. We are changed by beholding. When we behold his presence, his character, his love, that's when we are changed from glory, not when we try to change. To stop trying to change and continue to know him by prayer and study and 
to start serving. And she says, what can I do? I am 80 whatever, 84, 85, whatever old she was. What can I do? I am too old to do. And God inspired her to type the prayer seminar that was on her cell phone. And she typed the whole prayer, the whole recording in a 44 pages brochure. And then she prayed what to do with it. To publish it, I don't have the money. And God inspired her to make 16 copies. In that church in Milan, they had 40 members in the book, 16 old people attending. 16. All old. The church was like a few years away from a funeral. Because, you know, nobody young, nobody medium, nobody adult, just all 16, average 70, 80, somewhere there. Wonderful people. But nevertheless, if you don't have young, eventually the church would close. You understand? And so, God inspired her to make 16 copies and go to all, to go to all the 16 members and give them a copy. She gave everybody a copy. And then God inspired her to pray for them instead of praying for herself. And so she started to pray for them. They read the copies, not all of them, and about five or six of them started to pray. After a month, they talked together and they said, since we pray, we feel that we grow, and our families that have nothing to do with church or God, our families started to be friends with us, and some of them started to come to church. What if we continue to pray? So they continued to pray, and they prayed at home every day, half an hour, and one morning a week at the church together for half an hour. And the next month, they prayed two days a week together at the church and every day alone at home. And third month, they prayed three days a week. And fourth month, they prayed four days a week. And fifth month, they prayed five days a week together at the church. And they, after five months of praying together at the church, by the way, do you think that's easy? That's sacrifice. That takes a lot of commitment. When I was somewhere in north, I had a district in north, it was 35 below, and I would go to the church at 5.30 a.m. to pray for one hour until 6.30 a.m. And just about a few people came to pray with me in that bitter 35 below. My wife would take hot water and she would throw it out and before reaching the ground, it was ice. 35 below. It was in Wisconsin. It was sunshine. And you say, beautiful. And by the time you step outside, your nostrils, your nose would stick together like glue, you know. It was so cold, bitter cold. In that time, to go at 5.30 a.m. at the church, get out of your warm bed your warm room and get in that terrible freezing car, by the time you get to the church, the car starts warming up and then it cools down and you get in the car and by the time you get home, the car is warm again. I, it's not comfortable. But that church that had 20 people, after three months of praying together, had 120. Wow. That's real story. That's not a, let's invent it, you know. And what we did, we came together and prayed together. Prayer has power. Because prayer is relying on God, not relying on self. Okay, to the story. They prayed for five months. In these five months, their families started to come to church. They already 
started to see changes, blessings in their life, blessings in their family, blessings in their church. After five months, a man across the street, a neighbor, knocked into the door of the church at 6 a.m. And he says, folks, what are you doing here in the morning? You used to come one day a week, Saturday morning at 11 o'clock or 10.30. And you stay until noon and then you go home. And the rest of the week the church is locked. Now you come every day around 6 a.m. What are you doing here at 6 a.m.? And they say, well, we pray. He says, really? What do you pray for? Well, we pray for the city. And the guy says, well, I don't believe in church, church politics, but I do believe in God. And he says, my wife has terminal cancer. She is dying. Would you pray for her? For comfort, for whatever. Now you may have heard the story. They prayed for her, and the lady said they had no imagined dream or hope didn't cross their mind any miracle. They just prayed for comfort, that she would have peace, you know. Well, next week, the guy knocked in the door and he says, I want to join your church. And they said, why would you want to join our church? Because we don't worship Sunday, we worship Saturday. I don't care, I want to join your church. But we don't eat pork, we eat this. I don't care what you eat, I want to join your church. Why do you want to join our church? Because you have a God. The other churches have only theory. He says, my wife went to the regular checkup and the doctor said she's cancer-free. Isn't that something? But the neighbor told his friend, next neighbor, and he came and says, my kids are in prison, pray for them. And then that neighbor told another neighbor. And in about six months, every morning there was a line at the door of the church at 6 a.m. People from the neighborhood would come at our church to be prayed for. Two years later, The line was roughly 300 people every morning at the door of the church at 6 a.m., people from the city to be prayed for. They baptized 340 people in Milan. This is not in Africa. This is in Milan. In 2017, they planted three more churches. There are four churches in Milan, all of them big. They are knowing as the church that cares for you, they pray for you. Wouldn't that be nice? if our church was known as the church that prays for people, a house of prayer? Wouldn't that be nice? Is it possible today? And the lady called the division. No, the division called the pastor and said, what do you do that in Italy you grow so fast? And the pastor says, to be honest, to be humble, it's not me, it's that lady. So the division talked to the lady. And the lady says, we listened to this prayer seminar and we started to pray alone and then we started to pray together and now we cannot help it. It just keeps exploding. And then the division said, how long did it take? You prayed for two weeks? They said, no, we prayed for about 13 years. Do you understand? Because we pray a week. I talk to people and people, pastor, I started to pray for a whole week and nothing happened. And I looked at them and I said, yeah, me too. I've been eating for a whole week and I didn't grow up when I was a kid. It took me like 50 years to grow. You understand? Another example. Very simple example. I tell people the story. I was in uh, somewhere in north and I had a church member, extremely rich. When I say rich, very rich. Big job, big name well to do. And the guy told me, 
it's impossible to save the rich. You can work with people who are poor, they have an interest to be helped, you can work with middle class, but you cannot reach millionaires. They don't need Jesus. They don't need church, they don't need baptism, they don't want to hear, they are very private. You cannot knock in their door, you cannot invite them to evangelism, they are just very private. And I told him, I said, you are wrong, because rich people have cancer, rich people have diabetes, rich people have depression, rich people have divorce, rich people have kids in drugs, rich people have problems too, rich people need salvation too, everybody needs Jesus, God doesn't have a harvest problem, God has a worker's problem. He says, what do you mean? I said, I mean you are not an Adventist. You just keep the seat warm in the church. You are not an Adventist. He says, Pastor, you are too rough. I said, I love being rough. It just it delights me to be rough. Yeah, why would I tell him, oh, you are just a wonderful person? Because he gives a big tithe, a big gift to the church. He said, but Pastor, I am so supportive of the church. Why do you say that? I said, oh, you don't need, we don't need your money. Sure, you rejoice it, but we don't need your money. God doesn't need your money. If you think that your money can help God, you are wrong. God is fine without your money. God doesn't need you. You need God. The church doesn't need you. You need the church. He looked at me. He says, what do you mean? I said, you are not an Adventist. You should get out. Why do you say that? Because you tell me that your neighbors don't need Jesus. Basically, you tell me that you don't care about your neighbors. Oh, I do care. I said, no, you don't. Do you love them as you love yourself? Yes. I said, how do you know? Well, I don't know how to explain it. I said, that's because you don't love them. And I tell you how to, how to measure it. If you really love them, what do you do for them? Well, there is nothing because they don't need anything. I said, how long do you pray for them? Well, I do pray for them. How long? Well, I don't know. That's because you don't pray. Because when you pray, you know. I said, do you pray half an hour for them? Well, no. Do you pray 15 minutes for them? Well, no. How long do you pray? Well, I don't know. I tell you, you say, amen. That's your prayer. That's routine to just do your duty, to put your conscience to sleep. Oh, I did it. That's the way you pray for your son when your son had a car accident and he's in a coma and he has two hours to live. That's how you pray. Or you labor in prayer like Jacob in the night. You follow me? And I told him, I want you to pray for your neighbors a committed time. I want you to put half an hour aside to pray for your neighbors every morning. Well, I cannot do that. I have a job. I said, you tell me that you put job above your neighbors. Well, but my job is important. That means that you put your job above God. He said, no. I said, yes, because you cannot tell me that you love God unless you love your neighbor. That means that you put job above God because God told you to go and save the world. God didn't call you to be saved. God didn't call you to salvation. God called you to mission. Because God doesn't love only you as Israel thought. Oh, he loves us. He called us to save us. No, no, no. God loves everybody and he wants to save the whole world. Jesus died for everybody. That no one should perish. God called you to save the world. To show them God's love so they have a chance. And as you do that job, you are saved. You follow me? We are not called to be saved alone. We are called for a mission. For a purpose. And I told him, I said, God called you to save them. If you don't care for them, it's because you don't love God and you don't understand God and you are selfish. He was like, I called him selfish, ready to cry and to get upset and never come back to church. Like some saints, they sang a song and nobody said, oh, what a wonderful song. And they got upset to the church and they never come back. Grow up. You don't need to be applauded for what you do. You do it for God. It's a privilege. 
You follow me? I did the VBS and nobody appreciated me. I don't go to this church. Stay home. You are, you, you are 40 years old and you still have diapers. You need to grow out of diapers. You stink. <laughs> you understand? And so I told him, I said, get away from the church. You are a hindrance. You misrepresent Jesus and his character. People don't come to church because of people like you. He was like, pastor, the other pastor told me that I am wonderful. I said, well, he was wrong. <laughs> I told him, you really want to be a Christian? You need to pray for these people. You need to care for these people. That's when you are a son of Jesus. When you do what Jesus told you to do. When you love people as Jesus loves people. He said, well, what should I do? I said, I just told you. Spend half an hour praying for them. But I have a job. I said, then stop coming to church. He said, but I cannot wake up. I said, well, ask Jesus to wake you up. I said, ask your wife to come at half an hour before you usually wake up with a cup of water with ice and put it on your face. Well, I cannot do that. That means that you don't want to pray. Because if you want to pray, you are going to ask your wife to use water and ice to wake you up to pray. He got it, you know. And so he started to pray every morning, half an hour for his neighbors. He called me after a week. I've been praying for them and nothing happened. I said, well, God doesn't like you. He said, what? I said, man, you don't pray enough. You pray one week and you want uh, results. What did I say last night? In the Bible, 92% of prayer have answer how? Later, answer to prayer in the Bible is not an event. It's a process. It takes time. And you need to keep praying so God could keep working. Because God respects people's choice. God doesn't force people. So God has to keep working and working and working and working with them until they finally melt down and they say, okay. So you need to keep praying so God could keep working. So I said, keep praying, not only a week. And I said to him, how long do you breathe? He said, well, why do you ask? Prayer is the breath of the soul. If you want to be spiritually alive, you need to keep praying as you keep breathing. Prayer should be a lifestyle, not an event in crisis or in need. Okay, so he got it. He kept praying. After another month of prayer, he called me. And he said, I don't know how to say my neighbors, but I know something. I was born a third or a fourth generation, whatever he said, Adventist. Born my, his father was a missionary in India, 30, 31 years. So he was a MK, missionary kid, MK. He was a missionary kid. He says, I've been an Adventist all my life, and my father all his life, and my grandfather. And he says, I've not yet experienced God until this, this month. He says, this is first time in my life that I actually experienced God in a real way. He says, I started to sense God's presence. By the way, there are quotations that say that those that make God their, listen carefully, continual companion through prayer and study, those that make God their continual companion, they sense God's presence around them. He says, I started to sense God's presence. And then he said, I started to recognize God's voice first time in my life. He says, I don't hear a voice but I sense the impression and every time he speaks, it's never what I like. He always speaks against what I am tempted to do. It's not my natural tendency. He would ask me to do something that I am very uncomfortable. Like, like uh, you know, like Noah, build an ark. Abraham, leave your country. You follow me? 
is always uncomfortable. And every time I obey, things go amazing. And every time I disobey, it's a mess. So I started to learn to obey. He said to me, thank you. I hated you when you confronted me. But now I'm so happy you did it. I started to sense God's voice and to experience God on a daily basis. When you tell stories in the church, I thought you lied. But now I have stories. Do you follow me? Do you have a story? Not from 40 years ago. From last week. And so he said, I started to have stories every day. And I said, praise the Lord, we have one member in our church. You understand? I said, I wish everybody can tell me the story that you tell me today. I said, now I love you, brother. You didn't love me before. I loved you before too, but you're a stinker. Now you started to sound like a child of God. My sheep know my voice. And I said, keep praying. So God could keep working through you. He kept praying. He called me a month later. He says, God impressed me to work with my rich neighbors. And God told me, don't talk to them about church. Don't invite them to evangelism. Just invite them to a meal. His wife cooks Greek food. When they invited me to eat with them, I ate until I could not walk. The food was so good that I ate. Can we turn the mic just a bit louder, please? I ate and I ate and I ate and I ate. And they had so, the food was out of this world. I, even now when I think about it, I get water in my mouth. I could go anytime they invite me to eat. I would go in a selfish way, not so much to visit them, but just to eat that Greek food. It was just amazing. And he said, God inspired me to talk to my wife. We cook amazing Greek food and we invite the neighbor to come over and eat together. I said, praise the Lord, do that. When they come, should I tell them about Sabbath? I said, no. Should I tell them about the state of the dead? I said, no, it doesn't help them to know the state of the dead if they still die. Don't tell them before they beg for it. Otherwise they say, aha, strings attached. You know, you have an agenda. That's the reason you call us to it. You want to make us, to make Adventists out of, you know, you want to change us, to convert us. So I said, don't tell them anything. What if they ask? Don't tell them. What if they ask? Let them beg for it. Next Sunday, he sees his neighbor cleaning his Porsche. Rich neighborhood. Rich neighborhood. Very exclusive. I, I went there to visit them. I had a Kia Rio. That was long ago, like 100 years ago. It was in 2003 or 2004, long ago. And uh, I had a Kia Rio. It was blue. It was more like Mr. Bean's car. You keep your knees in your mouth. And small car. It was hit all over. Uh, my father-in-law was hit by a school bus in the right side. The car was all destroyed the right side. My wife, when she parked it, she hit it on the right side. And I have a friend who backed off with my car, he was a student, and there was a truck behind him, and he, he didn't look back, and he hit the truck, and the trunk of the Kia went inside. It was very funny, you know, it was just a junk. And the covers from the brakes bent, and they were touching the brakes and the rotors, and the car was doing like, when you drive, you know, and every Sabbath I would come to church, the whole church knew, they heard, Oh, the pastor is here. Uh, so, <laughs> and so I had a junk car and I went to visit this guy. And when I got in the neighborhood, the guard at the gate, he looks to me and he says, you are in the wrong place. You don't belong here. 
I said, well, call so-and-so. He called him. Oh, that's my pastor. Let him in. I got inside. I was driving in big homes, six, seven, eight million dollar homes, and Porsche and Ferrari, Lamborghini, Maserati, Tesla, Mercedes. You know? And so, imagine rich people, you know, he gets Saturday, Sunday morning outside and he sees his neighbor cleaning the Porsche. He says, good morning. Good morning. How are you doing? Good. Good. It's our anniversary today. My wife and I have 25 years of marriage. We have amazing food. Would you come so we don't eat alone? Thank you, but I am busy. Come on. No. And he said to me, God put in my heart to describe the food. And he started. We have this and we have that. And Mediterranean salad and stuffed cabbage rolls. And, and, and we have uh, baklava. And, we have... and he described the food. And he says, the more I describe the food, the more the neighbor opened his mouth. Like, <laughs> And he said, okay. <laughs> I'm coming. And the guy came. And the guy says, I would drive far away to get to a good restaurant to eat some good food. Sometimes, I hate to say, but Americans sometimes worship food, you know. And so he says, I'm coming. The guy came and my church member says, in my house, nobody, pray, nobody eats without prayer. And the guy says, well, I don't believe in prayer. That's okay, close your eyes. The guy closed his eyes and then my church member says, what do you want me to pray for? He says, well, I don't believe in prayer, but if you want to pray, my wife and I are separated for five years and our kids don't talk to us. They spend their day on the cell phone and internet. So my church member says, okay. And he prayed for the food. And then he prayed for the neighbor's family, for his wife, for his children. Then he said, amen. And then they ate amazing Greek food. And then my church member says, now let's play a game. And the guy says, what? Let's play a game. And he says, we are adults. Oh, that's okay. When is the last time that you had fun? When I finish college. Say, well, you need to relax a little. You are too stressed. Let's play a game. I don't have time. Come on, half an hour. Mm -mm. Fifteen minutes. Mm -mm. Ten minutes. And he says, okay, but I really don't play games. Ten minutes. Okay. And they played Settlers of Catan and Monopoly. My church member told me that after half an hour of games, the guy was like, like, my neighbor said, I'm a professional. I can beat anybody at games. But I pretended that I am dumb. And allowed him to win a few games. And he was like, yeah, I can beat you, you know. And my church member said, he was all laughing, all excited. Let's play another one. I'm going to beat you again. Let's play another one, you know. And they played games. And the guy says, this was a good day. I don't remember last time when I had so much fun. Good food, good games. And my church member says, if you want, we do it again next Sunday. You cook again. Yeah? Okay, done. He goes home, literally whistling. You know, whistling. He gets in the house. And his children look at him and says, Dad, what's wrong with you? He says, why? You smile, you whistle. We have never seen you smiling or whistling. Hmm. He says, oh, I went to the neighbor. And we ate Greek food. And we ate, and he describes the food. And the kids are like, you know, and we, after that, play games. And the kids, are you crazy? You played games? Yeah! And it was fun. 
You never play games. You come from work and you are stressed and you go into your office and you work until late in the night. You never talk to us and you never play with us. Why would you play games with the neighbor? And he says, it was fun. And next Sunday I go back. And the kids, can we come? Yeah. He calls my church member. Can I take my kids? Sure you can. The wife comes a couple of hours later. Hey, the kids are very excited and they talk to you, but they don't want to talk to me. What did you do? And he says, I went to the neighbor and we ate Greek food and we played games. And the wife says, you lost your mind. You played games? He says, yes, I played games. And next Sunday we go again and the kids come. And the wife says, well, can I come? Next Sunday, the whole family goes back to my church member. They prayed, they ate, and they played. Next Sunday, they go back. Next Sunday, they go back. After a few Sundays, the neighbor tells my church member, I don't know how to thank you. My family, we went to counseling. We still were, we were separated for five years. We were in divorce. My wife and I are back together. Our kids are back with us. I don't know how you do this, but you are different than everybody I know. I want to thank you. You have saved my family. This neighbor told the other neighbor that they were playing golf together. And the guy says, hey, I'm in some trouble too. Can I come? He comes. And then he tells another one. In about six months, 11 millionaire families were meeting every Sunday, praying for one another, eating and playing. Would you believe that playing games can get people so close together? I was in Lexington, Kentucky, my former church. And I preached like I preached my heart out. And the church still was fighting each other and they didn't get united. Until I invited them at my house to have a tomato fight. (laughs) We had a big garden. Soccer game, soccer court size garden, soccer field, you know? Actually, we had two gardens, one at the bottom of the property, gigantic, and one a little smaller, still big, by the house at the top of the property, plus an orchard with 42 fruit trees, plus 16 uh, 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 figs, plus about eight walnuts, plus 16 grapevines, plus 100 chickens, plus 50 quails. We had a big farm. We never sold anything. We just gave to the neighbors and to the church for free. We just did it for the fun. I have a nice John Deere tractor. I love it. It's just when I go in my garden, all stress goes away. I know it sounds crazy, but I talk to my tomatoes and they love me talking to them. And so, I had so many tomatoes that I gave to every church member and I gave to all the neighbors so many eggs. Every Sabbath I would take two, three hundred eggs at the church and say, help yourself. And I would take like boxes of tomatoes and boxes of peppers and cucumbers and eggplants. Help yourself. So many that we canned, we ate, we gave, and we had plenty left over. So what to do? I got from Walmart those one dollar plastic things for rain. And I got buckets. And I invited the church members and I gave everybody a plastic cover and a bucket with tomatoes. And I said, tomato fight. And they looked at me like, what's wrong with you, pastor? And I took a tomato and hit one of the youth. Because youth, they catch it. You know youth. And the guy smiled and he took a tomato and hit me back. And then I hit the head elder. 
and the young person smiled and he hit the head elder. So the head elder retaliated to the tomato and hit me back. Soon enough, the whole church was fighting. It was so much fun. And after we had the tomato fight, then we started around the bonfire to share everybody three minutes how they got to know Jesus. And after that, we prayed together and the church members told me that they never in history of the church didn't have so much fun. And then they told me that this tomato fight has united us more than any sermon. When people play and eat together. And so back to the story. 11 millionaire families every Sunday praying, eating, and playing. And then they said, you are different. Since we pray together, we, our families, are fixed. Tell us what you believe in. And he said, nah, it's private. Religion is private. Please tell us. No. Come on, please. No. Please. Okay. (laughs) And he told me, should I tell him about Sabbath? No. Start with the knowledge of Jesus. And he started slow. Two years later, I baptized 44 millionaires. Is it possible? Is it possible? Why doesn't it happen? No offense to you. I don't know you. And I don't want and I don't need to know you. But it is our fault. God's hand is not too short. And people need Jesus. People need the Lord. But because of our selfishness, our self-centeredness, we are so focused on our life, on our jobs, on our problems, on our needs, on our church, on our salvation. We are so focused with self that we have no time for others. And God loves them just He loves you. And God didn't call you to salvation. He called you to mission. And as you save others, you can be saved. And as you work for others, you grow. You understand? I could give you story after story after story. I I mean, I have so many stories. You will not believe how many stories I have. All of them real. I mean, if you think about the guy, I don't know if you heard the story, a guy in Michigan who had a nice big business. I tell this story in Flint, Michigan. I was doing my uh, evangelism practice. And I was in Flint, Michigan. And I talked to him. And this guy has a big business. And he's very well to do. <clears throat> and he told me, prayer doesn't work. I pray because it's my duty, but prayer doesn't work. And I asked him, I said, I want you not to pray for salvation, not to pray for victory, not to pray for healing. I want you to focus first on praying to know Jesus. I want you to study the Bible, not to do your duty, but to seek to know Jesus. That's what Jesus told the Pharisees. You search the scriptures because in them you think you have eternal life, but they testify of me. Therefore, he meant, says Ellen White, you should search the scripture not because it's a duty, not to get eternal life, not to get knowledge, but you should search the scripture to get to know me. If you go to church and you don't encounter Jesus, church doesn't help you. If you pray and you don't encounter Jesus, prayer doesn't help you. If you study the Bible and you don't encounter Jesus, study doesn't help you. So many people read the Bible and then they kill each other. You follow me? 
You need the purpose, the reason, the goal of your existence is to have a relationship with God. All in the Bible, anything, salvation, growth, victory, faith, all is related to relationship. I can prove it to you. You pick a subject, doesn't matter, faith or doesn't matter, and I can prove it to you, is based on relationship. Faith is not based on belief. For instance, if I call my wife and I say, honey, I'm in my hotel room with two beautiful girls. If faith is based on belief and she believes me, she will divorce me. You follow me? Faith is not based on my word. If I tell her, honey, I'm with two girls in the room and she takes my word, she will divorce me. Faith is based on trust. And trust is based on relationship. She knows me She trusts me because we have a relationship. And she knows me. And when I say, hey, I'm with two beautiful girls in my room, she says, yeah, 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 yeah. I know you. You are in the room alone right now taking a shower or shaving or reading. I say, yeah. Doesn't matter what I say. She doesn't even take my word because she knows me. You follow me? When Jesus told the Phoenician woman, should I take the food from the children and give it to the dogs? If it was based on belief, if it was based on God's word, the woman should have left. But she, says Ellen White, knew Jesus because she has been contemplating his works. She has been spending time analyzing who he is and she knew that he is God. She says, my Lord. She knew that he is the Lord and she knew that he is love and she didn't take the word. She says, uh-uh, uh-uh, doesn't work. I know you. That's the reason she says, yeah, 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 but dogs do get something too. And she didn't leave. Because faith is based on knowing somebody. Religion is all based on having a personal close relationship with God. Therefore, eternal life is to know God. The whole Bible is based on this one word, relationship. And God doesn't need your works. He doesn't need your money. He needs you to know him. He's looking for a close, honest, open relationship. He wants you to know him and to love him. That's all he wants. You follow me? And so going back, I talked to this guy from Michigan and I told him, I said, it doesn't help you all you do for the church. It doesn't help you in your salvation, all your prayers, all your things, all your money, unless you have a relationship with God and a relationship with people. That's religion. To love your neighbor just as you love yourself, relationship with people, and to love God more than anything else, relationship with God. That's religion. You follow me? And so I told him, and he says, how do I do that? And I said, how do you get to have a relationship with somebody? Spend time with them. By praying, you spend time with God, by studying the Bible, and by reflecting. Ellen White says that every day we should reflect at least What does she say? At least one hour to his sacrifice, his last week of life, his character, his so on. At least one hour every day. Take time to, even if you drive. It takes me uh, one hour and five minutes to get to work because I drive in Washington, D.C. to that terrible traffic. 61 miles one way, 61 miles back. That time, I don't spend doing nothing, driving. I don't spend listening to stupid news. All bad. I don't spend listening to stupid music. That time I spend praying when I drive. And listening to Bible audio or listen to spiritual prophecy audio and turn it off and then reflect. Wow, what if I was there? If God told me to build an ark, would I? 
Would I sacrifice my life and my money to build a stupid ark when there was never rain? Would I trust him? No, I must have known him to trust him so much. What would my wife say? What would the conference say? What would the neighbor say? Would I be willing to take that risk? That everybody tells me that I am crazy? He is building an ark. What is an ark? It's a boat. What is a boat? Something against rain. What is rain? <laughs> you understand the picture. He must have had a relationship with God to build an ark in a time when there was no rain. You understand? And so, you build relationship how? By spending time with that person that you... Exactly. And so, I told my friend, how do you grow in your uh, knowledge? How do you grow in your faith? How do you grow in victory? How do you grow in saving others, your family? Relationship, relationship, relationship. You don't take to Jesus a neighbor, or a, a stranger, only a friend. To take people to Jesus, you need to be in relationship with people. To, to be victorious, you need to be in relationship with God. It's all relationship. And so, he started to pray. And he said to me, how long do you pray? I said, well, don't try to copy me. He said, why? I said, because I am not an example. Jesus is an example. Why would you copy me? If I lose my temper tomorrow, are you going to copy me? Don't look to people. People will disappoint you. Don't measure against each other. Look to Jesus. He's the captain of your salvation, okay? I fix my eye on the captain of my salvation. That's what Paul says. Okay, and so, I told him, I said, how long should you pray? Start with five minutes. He said, oh, that's easy. Yes! But they should keep increasing. After a week, go to ten minutes. After two weeks, go to twenty minutes. After a month, go to half an hour. After another month, go to one hour. Because you cannot commit four hours a day when you don't know Jesus. After one day, you'll get bored and you'll give up. But you start slow and the more you know Jesus and the more you grow in relationship and the more you love him and the, know, the more you learn how to pray, the more you want and it will be easy to increase. You follow me? So I told him, start slow but keep growing because babies start slow. I've never seen a baby being born adult. But they keep growing. And so the guy started. I finished my practice in evangelism and I moved. And uh, he called me later and he says, you know, God started to have a relationship with me. And I told him, very simple. He says in the Bible, if you draw near to me, I will draw near to you. And so... He called me again a month later. He says, God started to talk to me. I said, finally, praise the Lord. Somebody understands. He called me later. Too much. And he says, you know, I started to actually have stories. Uh-huh. Praise the Lord. It takes time. I want you to understand. It takes time. Do not look for a quick miracle. It took Daniel between the first vision and second vision 40 years. 40. He was 40 and then... No, he was 20 and then he was 60. First vision, he was 20 and second vision, he was 60. It took 40 years between the visions. Oh, God doesn't talk to me anymore. Daniel didn't pray to hear the vision. Daniel prayed because he loves his God. You follow me? And so, it takes time, but never give up. Keep praying. Make Prayer, a lifestyle. 
Seek Jesus more than you seek life. Seek Jesus more than you seek healthy health or job or, or salvation. Seek Jesus as there was nothing else in the world. You follow me? Amen. And so, the guy called me later, long story short, and he said, I, I cannot believe God is using me powerfully. I said, give me a story. If you don't have a story, I don't trust you. He gave me a story. He says, I was driving through snow. We had snow three days and three nights. That's normally. Michigan, it snows like two months, you know. I remember when I was in Andrews, they would push the snow in the parking of the mall today and tonight and tomorrow and next day until the snow was taller than the mall. Mountains of snow. Here you don't even know what snow means, you know. But <laughs> Anyway, so he says it was snowing for three days and three nights. A lot of snow. I was driving on I-94 through snow. And he says, instead of listening to stupid music as before, I was praying and God spoke in my mind and God impressed me and said, look to the right. And I looked to the right. And he told his wife, he says, there is a bump in the snow far in the field. And she says, the whole field is bumpy. No, 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 there is something white there. And she says, the snow is white. He says, no, 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 God told me to look there and there is something there. So he turned on the no U-turn on the interstate he went back to the previous exit. He came back, and as he was coming back, he drove slow. And he sees far, he looks carefully, a bump, a white bump in the snow, far in the field. He stopped his SUV on the shoulder, put the hazard lights. He goes there. Sure enough, there is an old man in a white robe, gray hair, snowed over, covered with snow, frozen. And the man has here his name, and then he says Alzheimer's. He left the nursing home to go home, and he forgot how to get home. So my church member, my friend, took him in his arms, put him in his SUV, and rushed him to the first hospital. The doctor said a few minutes more, he would have been dead. The doctor called the daughter of the old man. The daughter came and said to him, I am so glad you didn't hit him with the car in the road. He says, it was impossible to hit him because he was far in the field. And she says, how did you see him? Well, it was impossible to see him because he was all covered by snow. Then how did you see him? He says, well, if I tell you, you think that I lost my mind. Tell me. Well, God talks to me. He spoke to me, said, look to the right. And my wife didn't believe me, but God insisted in my mind, so I did. She says, I want to join your church. He says, why? Because you have a real God. I've never seen yet people that have a real God. Do you understand? The power of having a close relationship with Jesus. The power of having a real God. That is church. It's not what we do. What we do is religion, but it's not Christianity. For instance, in Kenya... There were about a few, a group of pastors, I don't remember the number, 10 of them, 11, 5, 6, a group of pastors, and they were a little disparate because while the church is growing in the rest of the country, the church was not growing in Nairobi because Nairobi, it's a 11 million people city, 11 million, and it's secular, unlike the rest of the country. And secular people don't need Jesus. You follow me? Secular people are not very much interested in church. Nairobi is very secular. And a group of pastors got together to pray for Nairobi. 
But what happens, they prayed for a month, they prayed for whatever, two, three months, and then a non-Adventist pastor from a non-denominational church called them and said, listen, I discovered on the internet or whatever, on the radio or something, I discovered that Sabbath is not Sunday, Sabbath is Saturday. And I googled and found out that you, the Adventist church, keep Saturday. Can you send me some materials to study? They sent him Bible studies. The guy studied, and then he did the studies with his church. And then he got baptized, and his church, I don't remember how many hundreds of people, they got baptized. But then, every, whatever, six months, the pastor from Nairobi get together to share resources. So, a few months later, the pastors from Nairobi got together. This group of Adventist pastors prayed that new baptized pastor, non-Adventist, who got baptized and became Adventist, he prayed, and God inspired him to make copies. He made copies of the studies, and he gave to all pastors from Nairobi. Out of them, 196 non-Adventist pastors got baptized. And many of their churches. Is it possible? Why doesn't it happen today here? Why it happened in Milan? Why it happened in Japan? I could tell you the story. Why it happened in, in Nairobi? Why it happened in Flint? Why it happened in Crystal Lake, Illinois? Why doesn't it happen here? It does. Praise the Lord. What is the lesson? What do we need to do? God is calling not the church. Not the pastors, not the conference. God is calling you. I don't care if you're a pastor or a man or a woman or a child or elderly or rich or poor. Doesn't matter. God is calling you to have a personal relationship with him. God is calling you not to play games with the Holy Spirit. God is calling you to take relationship, to take prayer, to take study in the most serious possible way. And God says... I am coming soon. You will not wake up in the crisis. Now, do it. You understand? And to procrastinate and not to obey the voice of the Holy Spirit is to play games with the Holy Spirit. And Elena White says, every time we procrastinate when the Holy Spirit makes an appeal for us to start doing something, we harden, she says, our hearts. And she says we become insensitive to the voice of the Holy Spirit to the point that we become blind and never obey. So slowly, by not obeying, by procrastinating, you don't need to do anything wrong. You keep coming to church, you keep returning tithe, and you keep eating tofu. You do nothing wrong. But because you procrastinate to apply what the Holy Spirit says, you harden your heart and you think, I'm okay, I'm an Adventist and I go to church. And you don't even know that your heart is hardened. Do you follow me? And then Jesus comes and you say, Lord, but I've been going to church and I I return tithe. And Jesus says, yes, but you don't know me and I don't know you. We have no relationship. Then what is the purpose to to go to church if we'll be lost? Huh? Do you follow me? Uh, our time is up long ago, huh? I finished. I, I, yeah, I could go on and on. I, I better stop. Yeah. I was in Cuba. One more story and I leave you alone. I was in Cuba. And there was a lady 
that brought to church during our evangelism, during our one week, it was nine days, it started Friday and it ended the other Sunday. Our, during our week of evangelism, every night she brought to church 150 to 200 kids. And I asked her, how do you do that? And she said, it's not what you do, it's who you are. And I said, what do you mean? And she said, come and see. So next day, I took the pastor and he invited us to go at 2 p.m. And I took the pastor and at 2 p.m. we went to visit her. That lady had the house. I took pictures. I have pictures in my laptop. Brother, her house was from that wall to here and from this baptismal tank to here. Smaller than my wife's walk-in closet. I mean, really small. And her house was made out of junk, like a piece of, a sheet of metal and a piece of wood and a sheet of metal and just kind of junky, put like, like a homeless house. I don't know how to explain. Stuff put together, you know. And, and in her house inside, there was a bunk bed with three levels and a bunk bed with two levels for the three children and for her and her husband and the grandparents. Can you imagine that? Like sardines, like, like in, in, in a can, you know. If one moves, everybody moves because they have no room to move, you know, kind of. Just crazy. And in that little house, they had a little, little, little round table and two chairs. I wonder who would sit first, you know. And a little camping stove. Little, little, little. And a little can with propane. And that was it. Poor. You think you are poor? Ah, you are rich. She was broke poor. And that lady in the front yard of the house, in the house there was dirt, no carpet. And in the front yard, dirt. She says, let's go out, the kids are coming. It was 2 p.m. Two, three hundred kids came and they were like crowded. And she says, sit down. And they all sat down on the dirt. And she says, do you have the papers? What papers? And she explained me, every day, I teach them a story from the Bible and a song. And then I want to evangelize their parents. So to make sure that they tell the parents, I tell the kids, how do I know that you listen? Because you just play. I want you to go home and to tell the parents the story and the song. And if the parents sign on a piece of paper, that you knew the story and the song, then tomorrow you can come back and eat. If not, you don't get food. Because their parents didn't have a job, and she did have a job. And she would buy rice. She told me, I don't have money to buy anything else except rice. And she said, I am blessed. I have a job. I have a salary. I make $14 a month. A pastor's salary, $22 a month. Did you hear what I said? And she says, I am blessed. I make $14 a month. I cannot buy everything, but I can buy rice. And I feed 300 children every day. And she says, they come and they hug me, and it makes me so happy to see that I can be a blessing for them as Jesus did for the children and for the people. That's religion. And we are so focused on self. There are people all around us. And we don't even see them. Instead of praying, Lord, open my eyes to be a blessing today. And she says, when they come with the papers that they told the parents the story and the song, and then they can eat today again. So she collected the papers, and they ate rice, 
And then she taught them a story and a song. And I said to her, what can I do for you? She says, nothing. I am blessed. I have a job. I said, I have with me. I don't have cash, but I have a $50 bill. I want to give it to you for your ministry. And she took the money. She looked in the sun. And she says, wow, so much money I've never seen in my life. I cannot take it. And she gave it back. I said, take it. No. Take it. She says, no, God is taking care of me. I have $14 a month. Have you seen Muppets ever, the cartoons? They have a big mouth to the ears. You know? She had a big mouth. She was like, I am happy. I have a job, $14 a month, and I can feed 300 children every day. I could not believe she was so happy. You follow me? That's how she would bring those children to the church. Let's finish. Let's finish. Do you want to grow? This is how you grow. You love God more than anything. And you love your neighbor as you love yourself. And as you invest time in your relationship with the neighbor, invest time in your relationship with God, that's how you don't grow by effort. You don't grow by, I'm going to pray that I never lose my temper again. You don't grow praying that you never sin again. Haven't you tried and you still sin again? You grow by spending time with Jesus, regardless as you are spending time in prayer and in the Word, and you grow by serving and saving others. That's how you grow. You follow me? Let's pray together, and then we are late already. And then we start again. Father in heaven, please open our eyes that we may understand and be thirsty for a closer walk with you. And that we may value people and love people just as you love them. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.